Amen. 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 Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, our text now, it says this. It says, Brethren, it says, I, I, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. In verse 8, he says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which is true in him and in, your, and in you, because the darkness is past and true light now shines. You know, folks, uh, you know, I think about this nation that we live in. What is it? Less than, less than 250 years old, isn't it? 230-something years old that we're a nation. And in that time period, less than, what, a quarter millennial, think about all the changes, the things that happened, the changes that have happened in government, the changes that have happened in individuals' lives, and, and all these people. Now, think about some things I was thinking about. You know, at one time in this nation, slavery was legal. Now, What's interesting about that is those that made decisions, those that were in authority, participated in those things. And they thought it was okay. I mean, in our world. I mean, we have things that are going on in our nation, but can you think about living in those times? Uh, some of you ladies, can you think about not too far ago, if you really think about it in terms of years, women didn't even have the right to vote. Didn't even have the ability to, to go cast a ballot. Uh, there was a period of time prohibition that uh, somebody praised God that alcohol was illegal to sell, and it brought about the, right, the rise of Al Capone and all those other unsavory individuals. Um, what about the time in our nation when, and some of you uh, experienced this, where it was okay and permissive for a public school teacher to lead in prayer, lead in the reading of the word? It was, it was expected every single day. Um, do you remember when abortion was still murder? It, it was. Now millions of Preborn children have been slaughtered, uh, all in the name of choice. Uh, remember when things like homosexuality, pedophilia, even sexual immorality among heterosexual peoples was looked down upon. That if you cheated on your spouse, well, you didn't go around telling about it, and you didn't find you new in the next fifteen minutes. You know, you didn't do it, or if you did do it, you worked through those things. Think about how how much things have changed. All these issues have have uh, either been or. or or, or not been, or, or come about and not coming about. Now there's all these changes that are taking place. But think about this. The moral compass or standard of this nation has changed over the course of less than that 250 years. Some of those changes obviously have been for the better, and, and, but many more of them have totally been for the worse. But the fact that it is that there's all these changes, all these, uh, these standards reducing, that through all those things, God has still never changed. Right. You know, they change because men are trying to make up for past atrocities. And so what do they do? They create another atrocity or another double standard. Uh, they want to yield to the pressures of some immoral minority. And so what they do is they just uh, put that fabric into the being of everyone else. They look for political correctness, but nothing ever seems to get corrected. And we, we, we lack this, this presence of any type of moral absolute. So everything is just always some type of shifting sand. And so as a result, you know, with our nation, and, and what's sad is we probably live in the best nation, but think about how big of a mess the best is. And I've been in other nations, and I, I prefer this one, but oh, glory is not a flag. He's something that sits upon the throne, not upon a flagpole for me. And, you know, the, the, the Army, Navy, Air, Air Force, and Marines didn't win my freedom for me. It was bought for me on the cross of Calvary. Appreciate what those guys do, but regardless if I was born an American or Chinese, I'm still going to serve Jesus. So my faith isn't dependent upon the color of my skin or my national origin. It's because this world is not my home. I just have the opportunity to serve Him 
right here and now. And you know, uh, I use this nation or our nation as kind of an example because you can see just how just a few deviations from some simple uh, rules and standards that once uh, once uh, were here resulted in almost a total departure from anything resembling one nation under God into debauchery. Judges seventeen six says this. And you can say amen. It says, in those days, because there was no king in the land, everyone simply did what was right in his own eyes. Now, we have, quote, unquote, kings. We have presidents and mayors and all these other senators and things. But when there's no protectorate, so to speak, that's what that word king means. In the Greek, it means, in the Hebrew, I mean, it means protectorate or one from a higher order that served to control the decisions made by any society. When there's no standard bearer, what happens? Everyone ends up just doing what's right in their own eyes. And so here's what brings us to 1 John 2, 7 and 8. He said, brethren, he said, listen, I'm not bringing something new to you, but I'm bringing something old, which you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. He said, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and him in you, because the darkness is past and the light now shines. You know, folks, we're looking at this, this epistle written to people that were suffering things much like we are. You know, you had the gospel come. We talked about a couple weeks ago the book of Acts and all these miracles were happening and, and tremendous works were being done at the hands of the apostles. And uh, One message got preached. 3,000 people got saved. Now we fast forward 60 years to the, first, uh, the epistle of 1 John and what's happening? Someone's come in and they, 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 they brought debauchery. They brought the lowering of the standard. They said, hey, listen, just, just pray the prayer. This is really what they did. And they said, just pray the prayer. You're going to be okay. You're, you're, you're just sitting in the body. You, you don't really have to walk in any type of victory. It's okay. That's what they said then. Now, folks, turn on Christian television. You hear the exact same message okay. now. It doesn't change. There's nothing new under the sun is what Solomon said. And there's nothing being confronted. The, 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 Satan is not very creative. What does he do? He just keeps on recycling the same deception. And you know in your own life, he just keeps knocking on the door of those old iniquities. If he got you before, he's going to come back and see if you let down your guard and check on those same things over and over again. And so we, we see these things happening over and over and over again. So he, he, he brings us to this place in this letter. And, and think about what he did in the, those first uh, 15, 16 verses that we talked about. He established his apostolic authority. He provided God's divine standard. He gave us the, the, the consequence of departing from genuine faith. He presented the Redeemer for man's sins. He gave the remedy for man's sins. And he, then He gave the requirement expected in the life of the redeemed. And so John, once again, what he's doing, he reinforces that something that cannot be emphasized enough, and this is what we're going to be addressing tonight. And it's called the immutability of truth. That's what these two verses, verse 7 and 8 are. The immutability of truth. I'll spell that for some of you guys that... Just want to put I M U T I M M U T ability A B I L I T Y the immutability of God's truth or God's word. Here's a definition for you. It means that which is unchanging through time, unalterable, or ageless. So John is presenting. These truths, he's presenting all of these facts, he's presenting all of this information, all the way from his apostolic right to present this message, that, that, that the things that I saw, the things I heard, the things that I touched, those are the things I'm speaking unto you. Then he comes back to this point, and he's going to bring us to a place, and he's going to say, listen guys, I'm not telling you anything new. I'm giving you something that is unchanging through time. You can't alter it because of who was elected. You can't change it because of a verdict in a courthouse. You can't... Uh, 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 
divert from this, this precept because somebody else don't like it or, or what a Supreme Court is ruling, any of those things. He says, I'm giving you something that is, is, is always consistent through time. And so I want you to look at what he did. Here's what he said and how he wanted to present this and why it's so important to us in verse 7. He said, brethren, he said, I write to you no new commandment. Some of your uh, translations may say stuff like brothers or dear friends or beloved. I think in the King James says that. Or brethren. And all of them just basically, I think, are kind of something lost in translation. I said to you, hey, brethren. Or hey, brother. You know, Christians, we, we got those things. We call people brother and sister because we just don't remember their name. <laughs> so it works pretty good for it. Hey? <laughs> Unless you're Gary and Mary, then everybody knows their name. <laughs> Man, we're going to have to give us some rhyming names. That way we call it huh? All right, preacher. But you think about that. You know, he, he calls them brother, but something's lost in translation. I'm going to give you what that literally means. If you're taking notes, write these things down. It's, it means, when he says brethren, he says, my very favorite. How many of you are God's very favorite? Yeah. I am. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I'd have to be for him to put up with me for this long. You know what I'm saying? He must love me so, so much to have tolerated who I was and give me the opportunities he's given me. So it means my very favorite. It means that which I loved beyond measure. And I love this. It means divinely loved and dear to one's heart. Now, that's how John addressed this. He's laying out all of these rules. He's laying out all of these experiences. He's laying out all this challenge to these Gnostics that came into the early church. He says, let me just stop for a second. Come on, folks. He says, listen, my very favorite. I got something to tell you. My dearly beloved, I've got something for you. That which is loved beyond measure, that which is divinely loved and dear to one's heart, i got something to tell you. Now, Deanna back there, you got Sissy Bug that was gone for about a month. Missed her every day, but you were so glad she was having a good time with her, with her cousins and all these things. But think about the love that you have for her. Think about the times that you as a mother have to correct her. Now, you would lay your life down for her. But there's times you have to correct her, but even in correction, you want her to know that, sweetie, listen, I'm not doing this because I hate you. I'm not doing this because I don't love you. I, I, the reason I'm doing this is because I love you more than words could ever comprehend. I, I love you beyond anything. I got that little, that sweet little grandbaby back there. And you, you know what? I've, I've had to tell her, even at 10 or 11 months, I've had to tell her no. Not because Pop-Pops don't love her, because he does. I don't want her touching something or doing something that is going to bring any harm to her. And so John shows up on the scene all of a sudden. He says, sweetie, I love you, darling, precious. You're, you're the divinely loved. You're the apple of my eye. You're all these great and wonderful things. He said, I'm, I'm telling you something because I want to set something up for you. Here's what's interesting. Paul the Apostle used that exact same that word there in Romans 1-7 when he's introducing our beautiful doctrine of grace, which we find in the Roman letter. Look what he said. He said to all that be in Rome, he said, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul showed up in this Roman letter and he says, Listen, my very favorite people, you that are precious, you that, that there's no one that surpasses you in my heart and mind, i got something to give you. And he gave them that, that tremendous letter, that, that, that Magna Carta of the New Covenant in the book of Romans. Then we also see it used in a corrective letter from Paul in 1 Corinthians 4.14. And he says, Listen, folks, he said, I don't write these things to shame you. But as my beloved sons, he said, I write these things to serve as a warning to you. I'm telling you because 
You can't imagine how dear you are to my heart. You can't imagine how much I love you. It's like the Word tells us that He chastens those that He loves. Yes. You know what? I had to chasten my children. I didn't chasten the kid around the street. I, I may have acknowledged that he was a bad kid and all these things, poor fella. But you know what? My relationship wasn't such that I felt it necessary that I had to correct him. Now, I was raised in Texas. I would snatch my own up in a hurry. I didn't care if it was a public place or whatever else. We'd do that. And they knew it. But it wasn't because we hated them. It's because there was nobody around that was more precious to our hearts than them. So here's kind of my personal paraphrase of what those two apostles said. This is the things that I'm going to tell you are vastly important. These are not just some trivial things that one would share with just anybody. These are things that you reserve for those that are the closest to your heart, to whom you have the greatest expectation for. Yes, these are very, very high standards. But the standard is only exceeded by the love necessary to extend the opportunity for you to walk in accordance with these standards. What's that's what the cross does for you and I? Yes. yes. You know, it is. It, it costs us everything. But I think in light of the enablement that He gives us, just you think about the value that He put upon us as individuals. And you know, as a most of us here, many of us here, are our parents and grandparents and, and the like. And you think about the love that you have for your children. And that you always wanted to protect them from just any type of situation. But I think about the love the Father had for me. That He would be willing to allow His Son Jesus to go through what He did. And He extended that opportunity for me when He did not even have to. That there's nothing that I brought to the table that warranted any mercy. Nothing that I brought to the table that, 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 that presented Him with anything redeemable except just the willingness that I was drawn by His grace and mercy to the foot of the cross. He said, I love you with an everlasting love. So John shows up on the scene of these people that are just struggling with all this debauchery and wickedness that's found its way in the church through these false teachers. And he says, listen guys, I know what I'm telling you. It's hard. It's a, it's a high standard. You're going to call me a legalist when it used to be called holy? You're, you're going to call me judgmental when it just used to be called corrective? You, have you seen how those words have changed in the church? You know, now if you, if you believe that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, you're no longer a Christian. They call you a Pharisee. When you believe that there's someone bigger than you, when you no longer are, are trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, but you believe that there's an empowerment inside of you, they, now they call you self-righteous when you tell them, listen, no, I just am so confident yes. in what Jesus did on the cross that I really believe that I can do everything through Christ. Well, who do you think you are? No, that's the, that's the problem. When I thought I was somebody, I couldn't do those things. I was bound by fear and timidity. But once I recognized who He was, everything changed. And no, that's, I'm not being cocky. I'm being confident. Because I know in whom I believe. And don't fault me for being a child of the King, adopted into the beloved, to being a joint heir together with Christ. Don't fault me for those things. I just happen to believe what He said. That He's unchanged, He's immutable. The things that He did for another, that He's no respecter of person, that He loves me. And He has an expectation for me that's only exceeded by the price that He paid for me on the cross of Calvary. That's what John was saying to these folks. Just like He said here in James 1, 16-18, He said, don't be deceived. Beloved brethren, he said, 
Every good gift, every perfect gift from above. He said it comes down from the Father of lights. And there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. In other words, it's immutable. He said, listen to me. Anything that you've got good is not something that's had to adjust itself because of culture. It's not something that's had to adjust itself because somebody over here was disappointed or, or somebody over here thought they got a, a better deal. Folks, listen. I'm going to tell you something tonight, which you probably know. God does not owe any of us anything. He doesn't. There, there is nothing that can happen. There's, there's no circumstance that would ever warn or validate me ever shaking my fist at heaven and saying, God, why weren't you there? Well, he could turn around and say, well, point at the cross of Calvary and say, well, why weren't you there? Folks, listen, he don't owe me anything. He's already done everything that he needs to do. And if he never lifted his glorious finger and aid to me again, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm redeemed. This life is like a vapor. And regardless of what I go through in this lifetime, it's just a blip on the stream of eternity because he's the Lord God and he does not change. Think about uh, Peter used the same word in, in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. He said, Beloved, he said, Beloved, I beg you. I mean, think about this. This is the same Peter that gets such a bad knock early on in his, his infancy of his walk for cutting people's ears off and splashing around after he took a couple steps. Listen, he didn't stay there. You hear me? Peter didn't stay there. He didn't, he didn't stay that one that was always just found himself in a, in a, in a, in a problem. He, he grew up just like we grow up. You know, he only cut one guy's ear off. Come on. You know? But the same one that, that took a nosedive because he got his eyes off of the, the Lord in the, the midst of the storm is the same one who was walking by the gate beautiful right. in the shadow of that one that took a nosedive in the water. Healed the lame man. I'll take that. But here he shows up to these people. He said, he said my very favorite, those that are so divinely loved, he said, I beg you, I implore you, he said, I pour out my heart to you. He said, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He says, please abstain from fleshly lust, which war against your soul. He said, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against us as evildoers, that they might, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in that day of visitation, regardless of what they've got to say. Let them look at our lives and say, you know what? You may not agree with what they're doing, but they're the real deal. They're the real deal, regardless if you don't agree with their theology, they're the real deal. Folks, the Word says when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are going to be at peace with him. You know, we get to experience that every single week in, in, in Bourbon Street here in New Orleans. We go out there in a hostile environment. We go out there as a definitive spectacle. We set up a 15-foot red cross, not hiding from anyone, preach the gospel right there in front of the biggest dance club on the street. And you know what? The same bouncers that are telling people to come in, if we walk by, you know what they're doing? They're hugging our neck and shaking our hand and thanking us and asking us to pray for their families. Why? Because they agree with our message? No. They just can't deny our message. Because why? They see us get spit on and we keep coming back. They see us getting threatened we keep coming back. They, 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 they see people throwing things off balconies. We just keep coming back. They say to themselves, this isn't some special event for these folks. These folks really do care. Folks, that's just a small price. That's not over and above the college. That's not Rambo Christianity. That's just from the beginning. That's just what they did then and 
It's just what we do now. So from John to Peter to James to Paul, everything they said, be it a directive or be it corrective, they always prefaced it with the introduction of that standard based upon the value of what had been invested in our lives. And that investment was the blood of Jesus spilled for our behalf on the cross of Calvary. Luke twelve forty eight says this, though. Where much is given, much is required. You know, Kyle said he remembered that day. Do you remember the rock that you've been hewn from? Do you remember where he delivered you from? You know, men ought to think of themselves more highly than they ought to. But sometimes we need to remember where we came from and what God did for us. And he said, don't you know where much is given, much more is required? So here's my question for you. Now, how much was given for you? How much did it take for you tonight? The day that you came to Christ, what did it take? What did it take for a 19-year-old young man, you know, family from Palestine, raised as a, as a... What did it take for God to break through the bondage of, of, of that type of religious bondage to set you free? Think about that for a minute. Think about someone that was brought up with that. Think about uh, maybe you were here and you, you spent years bound by alcoholism or a bondage to pornography or just anger, unforgiveness. Think about... When the chain was finally broke off, and you thought to yourself, you know, no psychiatrist, no amount of counsel, no, no, no self-help, nothing was able to do those things. He gave me freedom. He set me free. So here's the next question: How much do you value? Do you place upon that sacrifice that He made for you? Because when much is given, much more is required. And here's the final question: Do you do your ways? Measure up to your words in regards to that. Is your life a reflective example of the value you put upon what Jesus did for you? See, folks, that's what's tough, isn't it? That's what's tough when we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. He puts something inside of us that, that's, 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 that has all the power, all of those giftings, all of that ability. In every single one of us resides the ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, to cast out devils, to preach the word. Why? Because he's no respecter of persons. There's nothing that I've ever been able to do that before I did it, I knew how to do it. Does that make sense to you? Nothing. Nothing that I ever have done for the kingdom, nothing that I've ever done, whether it's preach in foreign countries or cast the devil out of somewhere or lay hands on there's nothing that I've ever been able to do that before I stepped out of faith and did it, I could do. I didn't come with instructions. Oh, this is a good brand. No, he's got all these talents and gifts. So it's just the opposite. In me dwelt no good thing. I had no power, no ability until I came to Christ Jesus. And so I've got to say to myself, is it just empty words that I'm professing or are my ways going to be reflective of the value that he placed upon me and the empowerment to walk those things out from the beginning? You're beloved. You're my favorite. It is you that I've chosen as my bride, my redeemed. I love you with an everlasting love. You're the apple of my eye. I see you as altogether lovely. These are things he says about us. He said, my care and concern for you requires that I make intercession for you day and night. I never sleep. I never slumber. That's the value that I put upon you. My eyes are always on you. My hand is constantly reaching out to you in care. My, my ear is always inclined to, to hear your cries. Much, 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 much has been given. But Hebrews 2, 3, 2 and 3 says this. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, For the message that God delivered unto angels has always stood firm from the beginning. But 
violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was once first announced by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself It was delivered to us by those who both heard and speak. The Apostle John being one of those. Folks, his love for us can only be measured by the sacrifice he made to demonstrate an appropriate day, that love for us through faith. Now think about that just for a second. If the disobedience, the transgressions of, of angels received the just recompense for their reward, that they failed and they were judged for it. Think about us. How shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? Because the angels never got a chance at salvation or redemption, and they received that reward. Now think about for us. Yeah, we failed with Adam. One man's sin, sin entered in. But through one man, righteousness was appropriated for us that we might receive it by faith and be changed and transformed. So folks, here's what we've done. We've started examining all these standards, these high standards. High standards, right? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. They were not only given to the first century church, but they've given to us. But here's what it is. My beloved, my brethren, my favorite, my heart, my divinely loved ones. In verse 7 he says, I don't write to you some new commandment, but an old commandment which we, you had from the beginning. The old commandment is that which was that you heard from the very beginning. So folks, what John's doing right here, we're going to see it through the remainder of this, 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 this book. We're going to see that he's establishing the precedent for that immutability. And listen, the standard is, it was and always will be. It's going to be the same. But the standard for you now is going to be the same standard that you're going to be held to when you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And here's what we forget. We forget that when he says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall receive eternal life. Folks, eternal life isn't like the end of a storybook that says they live happily ever after. Eternal life is the life of the eternal one. It's having the life of the Ancient of Days. Do you not know that now, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in you now? That He had the choice of, of everything for His place of abode. He created everything. The world is His and the, the fullness thereof. He, the, the universe was, is, is, is held in the span of His hand. He had all of those things to choose for His abode and His dwelling place, but He chose us instead. And He chose us in the now. Now eternal life is inside of me. Yes, that eternal life is, 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 is uh, I see through a glass darkly, and that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part shall be done away with. Yes, it's housed in this, this flesh that's, that's fading away, and mortality is going to put on immortality. But the spirit man inside of me is not suddenly going to be changed and set free when I stand before him on the day of judgment. It happened when by faith I asked Christ to come in and sit upon the throne of my heart. I am who I am. I'm not suddenly going to get a greater revelation or whatever else. I'm just going to see Him and I'm going to be seen as He is. But my redemption is now. My eternal life is right now. That's why i got to work those things out of my life with fear and trembling. And folks, I'm not talking about a filthy uh, fear that causes me to cower. I'm talking about the moral dread of being displeasing unto God. Because He loved me. Because He gave Himself for me. There's something inside of me in the person of the Holy Spirit that would never want to think, say, do anything that would hurt Him. That's what the fear of the Lord is. Yeah. If something is inside of me because I love Him so much, you know what? I, 
You know, I love him too much to do that. I know what I, my flesh wants to do. I know what the old nature wants to do. But there's something bigger than my old nature. There's something bigger than my flesh. The, the, my, 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 my flesh is weak. But man, as weak as it is, I've got a willing spirit inside of me called the Holy Ghost of promise that, that moved upon the face of the earth and caused everything to change. And as my brother said today during the worship, that that same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells inside of me, even though I'm limited by this natural body, even though it's going to quicken even it, even that body's going to have to come under subjection. Why? Because he's immutable. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the divine perfection of God. It's the one of His ways. It's how He distinguishes Himself from everything else in creation. He is perpetually the same. He's always the same. I never have to wonder what He's thinking about me. I never have to think, you know what, man, we had a good day. It's kind of like walking in, you're hoping the boss is in a good mood. Man, these don't look right. And every time I run to the throne of grace and mercy, He's just the same. Every time I call upon Him, He's just the same. He's not waiting for me to, to fail so He can put me under His thumb. He's just the same as He's always been. He's perpetually the same. He's not subject to change in His being, His attributes, or His determination. God is immutable. Because God has no beginning and no ending, He can know no change. There's no way God can know any change. You know what, folks? I, I, I believe that God has given everyone some free will. I believe that we have choices to be made. But you know what I also believe? I believe that God can't help but know what that's going to be. He knows what my decisions are going to be. Even though they're my decisions, He can't help but know. Why do I think that? Because I know what Romans 8 says, that He'll cause everything to work together for the good of those that love Him and the call according to His purpose. And so it's kind of... Some of you guys are old enough to remember. Remember the Mr. Magoo cartoons? <laughs> remember Mr. Magoo? Some of you guys I never heard. Go to YouTube. I'm sure they upload them. Mr. Magoo was blind as a bat. Mr. Magoo would get in his car and he'd go to drive somewhere and it was dangerous. I mean, the guy couldn't see beyond the end of his nose. But if you remember, he'd find himself up on some high rise and he'd drive across a beam and about the time that he was going to go off into the, 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 the ocean, a whale would go by and he'd drive across the whale's back. back on the, You remember that, don't you? And Mr. Magoo, <laughs> I did it again. I mean, he, was, he always thought he was doing this. Mr. Magoo didn't do anything. He was an accident waiting to happen, but everything was working. Folks, listen. We're all a bunch of spiritual Mr. Magoos. That's really all we really are. We blow our chest up and act about what we did. He did it again. No, you didn't do it again. He did it again. Now, every time we do that, he's saying, son, listen, you're making that decision. But you know what? I'm going to make it hard for you to make bad decisions. Because I'm going to continue to extend my grace and my mercy. Over 50 times under the old covenant, it says God is good and his mercy endures forever. That was before the finished work of the cross of Calvary. Can you imagine the manifestation of His goodness and His mercy now for those that believe? Folks, that's the kind of God that we serve. He's immutable because He has no beginning, no ending. He can't change. He can't no change. He is the everlasting Father, the Father of lights. There's no shadow of turning. There's no variableness. We talked about that from James 1.17. Let me give you some things. Let me give you three things. Firstly, God is immutable in essence. This is what he was telling them. John said, listen, God is immutable in essence. In other words, his nature and being are infinite 
And so they're subject to known mutations. God is immutable in essence, E-S-S-E-N-C-E. His nature and being are infinite, and so he's subject to no mutations. What's a mutation? It's something that deviates from the original, right? Now, he warns in the last days, he says, before the son of perdition is revealed, he said there'll be a great falling away. Greek word, apostasia, which literally just means a deviation from the truth. Who's the truth? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He, he doesn't tell truth. He is truth. So anything he says is truth. He says, let there be light. Well, he said it. There better be light. Because he is truth. We're, all things aren't upheld by the word of his power, or the power of his word. They're upheld by the word of his power. There was power, then there was word. There wasn't word that created power. So we don't have a creative force. He is the creative force. And so we can't name and claim anything because he's the only one that has that power. All we can do is stand in agreement with what he's always already said because he doesn't change. If he said it is, it is so. And so God is, is not subject to any time of mutations. Here's something else. There never was a time when he was not. You hear me? There never was a time that God was not. In other words, he's always been. He is unique in and of himself that he has no beginning. He has no ending. Now you guys that... that, that do a lot of ministry and talk to atheists and things of that nature. Where, where did God come from? Well, the problem is God don't have to come from anywhere. He is anywhere. Because He's everywhere. Now, you and I, we function within the parameters and the limitations of time and space. God doesn't have those time and space. And so the reason that God can cause everything to work together for the good of those that love Him, because He sees everything outside of time and space. See, you and I, we're always waiting on something to happen. Well, I, I was waiting on the Lord. No, you ain't. He's like he's running late or something. No, you're waiting on you to hear from the Lord. Wouldn't it be good if we all just got honest one time and said, I ain't waiting on the Lord. The Lord's waiting on me. You know, I'm not sitting here tapping my leg. Well, he said he'd be here at 4.30. Man, it's already 4.35. God, where are you? He's like, uh, I'm where I've always been. I'm the Lord God and I do not change. So we're always seeing something and we're waiting for it to happen. God sees everything in the now. Right. Everything is already is with God. That's why He can do that because He's seen the end from the beginning. That's why we can read the back of the book and find out what's already going to happen before it ever happened. Because God already knows what's going to happen because His nature don't allow Him not to know. So there's no time that He wasn't, whether that time is today 2,000 years ago or 10,000 years from now, God always is who He is. And He functions outside the limitations of time and space. So there's never a time that He was not. And there never will come a time when He shall cease to be. And so, just as far back as I can look at God's immutability there, I can also look forward. There's never going to come a time where God changes. And so when people say, well, what if, you know, a million years from now, God decides, he says, well, God can't change who He is. Because He's God, and God does not change. God has never evolved. God has never grown. God has never improved. He is the I Am. Don't you love that? He's never grown. He's never uh, uh, evolved. And He's never improved. Why? Because you cannot improve upon who God is. Amen? All that He is today, He has ever been and ever will be. He is who He said He was. That's why He said in Malachi 3.6, People try to take up offerings with these verses in Malachi 3. They ought to take up the cross with these verses. 
I am the Lord, and I do not change. Not so you can get money in your pocket, so you can get me in your life. He's his own qualified affirmation. He cannot change for the better, for he's already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. He's altogether unaffected by anything outside of himself, uh, which includes any improvement, any deterioration is impossible. He is perpetually the same, and he can only say, I am that I am, Exodus 3, 14. Who am I going to say sent me? I am sent you. Well, who's that? Well, there's no, there's no comparison. Just tell him, I am that I am sent you. He's altogether uninfluenced by culture, human failures, politics, anything created. Therefore, his power can never diminish or his glory fade. Thus, his expectations. Folks, that's where it hits home in First John. That's where it hits home for us. Because God never changes, his expectations will never change. And so when he says, be holy as I'm holy, his expectation is what? Holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness because without such, no man will see the Lord. Not if you live 6,000 years ago. Not if you live 6,000 years from now. The qualification, the expectation to dwell in my presence is still going to be holiness. And so John comes back. He's like, guys, listen. I want to bring you to a place of immutability. I want to show you that just because somebody slipped in, just because culture changed, just because you, you, you had these, these wolves that came into the church and began to tell you something different, God's expectation is no different than it ever has been. He's the same yesterday, today, and He's forever. He cannot change at all. Here's the second thing. God is immutable in His attributes. He was immutable in essence. Now he's immutable in his attributes. Folks, here's the thing. Whatever the attributes of God were before the universe was called in existence, the same thing now. And they're going to remain so. And so before he said, let there be, he always was. And you know what? He still is. And so his attributes are consistent throughout time. His power is unabated. His wisdom is undiminished. And his holiness is unsullied. And so nothing about his characteristics will ever change. The attributes of God can no more change than deity can cease to be. His veracity is immutable, for the word says it's settled forever in heaven. Folks, how long is forever? It's forever. And we got a smart group of people in here tonight. Then you have to help you on that. His, 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 it's forever settled in heaven, Psalm 119.89. It also says that his love is eternal. He said, I've loved you. With an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 and 3. How long is everlasting? Forever. It's forever. Forever is everlasting. Everlasting is forever. And he said, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them into the end. John 13, 1. His mercy does not cease for it's everlasting. Psalm 105. And so he's, his attributes, that attribute of love, Never changes. So he's telling these people, he said, listen, my lovely ones, my precious, the ones that I consider above everything else, I'm going to tell you, listen, the, the God that loved you enough 60 years ago that walked among us and hung up on that cross that some of you have seen or at least heard about, I'm telling you, it's the same one. The same one that you heard about, those 500 witnesses that said he got up out of the grave and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. I want to tell you, he's the same one. The one says, why do you stand here gazing upwards? Do you not know that the same one that ascended is going to descend in like manner? Do you not know that he's the exact same one? He has the same characteristics, the same essence. He's going to return again. If he, if he wasn't going to turn, he wouldn't have told you so. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you'll be also in my Father's house. There's many dwelling places. 
I've got a place for you. And I'm going to come and receive you unto my own. He's the same. The third thing is God is immutable in His counsel. He's immutable in His counsel. In His essence, in His attributes, in His counsel. Here's what that means, folks. It means His will never varies. Probably the greatest stumbling block that I've seen as a, as a preacher for many, many years in the body of Christ is God's will is coming off all the time. You know, God's will for somebody is one thing this minute, and the next minute something starts turning around, God's will is something else. I'm like, well, what happened to God's own will? Well, you know, uh, we had a little conversation and it just didn't work out right. Well, that's not God's will. We talked about the will of God several weeks ago. God's will is, is what? It's your sanctification. My God's will for us isn't, oh, I wonder if it's God's will for me to buy a new car. Well, you got the money for a car? Go buy your car. You're not driving that old one? Just keep the old change and drive it. God's will is you're sanctified. Whether you're in a beat-up car or a brand-new car, be sanctified. Live holy. That's what God's will is for you. You know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor. Yourself. That's the will of God. And so God's will never changed. There is no perfect will versus a permissive will. How many of you have heard that? The permissive will of God. Do you know what the definition of the permissive will of God? It's the rebellion of man. Right? And so when I was growing up, and mom, if I asked mom and dad if I could do something, they said, no, you can't. And I said, please, please, please. And my mother would look at me and she said, I'll tell you what. I told you you couldn't do that, but you go ahead and do whatever you want to do. Now, oh, she said I could do whatever I want to do. Yeah, but you're going to find out what she's going to do to me when I get home. There ain't no permissive will to that whatsoever. There's going to be the, the rod of Catherine Bond that's going to come down on the behind of Troy Bond. That's what's going to be. And she's going to, she's going to re-identify and redefine what I thought was her permissive will. Well, you told me I could do it. No, I told you you do whatever you want to do. But there's going to be a consequence for it. Be not deceived. God is not mine. Neither is mama. Whatever you sow is what you also going to reap. So we're going to ask the question. Genesis 6.6. 6. And it said, repented, it repented the Lord that He had made man. How do you answer those questions? Well, God doesn't change. Why does it say that it repented God that He made man? Did the Scriptures contradict themselves? Nah, no, they don't. Absolutely not. It cannot be because Numbers 23.19 is plain enough. It says this, that God's not a man that He should lie. He's neither the Son of Man that He should repent. Also in 1 Samuel 15, 19, it says the strength of Israel will not lie, it will not repent, for it's not a man that it should repent. So what's the explanation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here, here's the thing about the Word of God and about God. When He speaks, speaking of Himself, God always accommodates our lack of understanding. And so His language speaks into our limited capabilities. So He describes Himself as clothed with ears, hands, eyes. But we know God's a spirit, right? But He speaks something we can understand. Uh, he speaks of himself as walking. We see that in Psalm 70, uh, 78, 65. It says he rises early, Jeremiah 7, 13, but we know he never sleeps or slumbers. It says that, 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 that he's repenting, but we know that he doesn't change. And so when he institutes a change in dealing with man, he speaks a language we understand. So he says, listen, I'm going to do something that's going to change because repentance isn't, I'm sorry, right. repentance is the moral compunction to think differently. Right. And so God is saying, what you're seeing is a change built upon a moral standard. That's what when God repented. He said, listen, the change that's happening is built upon a standard that does not change. 
And I'm accommodating you with a language that you're going to understand because you know that it means to turn away from what you are doing and go towards that thing which always has been my, my plan and my purpose. He's immutable in counsel. Uh, the gifts of the calling of God without repentance, Romans 11, 29. Uh, he's in one mind who can turn for him. His soul stirs even he that does those things. Folks, God's omniscient, right? What is that? All-knowing. God's omnipotent. He's all powerful, powerful, so there's ever need for him, no need for him to ever revise anything about himself. The word says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. That his thoughts, his heart to all generations are the same. Psalm 33, 11. Therefore, we read in the word, Hebrews 6, 17, it talks about the immutability of his counsel. But folks, here's the thing. We're created beings. Procreated beings. You hear me? God only created two people. That's it. All the rest of us are procreated. That's why when the word says that God created man in his own image, now, boy, they had to be some good looking folks. You know, thankful for dad that I got this mug. You know, right here. I'm the product of procreation. That's why John 3 3 says I have to be born again. I was born of that which is corruptible, I was born of that which was defiled. I'm the creation of mom and dad that was sitting. Because God gave us the building blocks, the birds and the bees to do these type of things. And so I'm mutable. In other words, I'm fallible. In other words, I can make mistakes. But the one that redeemed me can't make those mistakes. And because, because of that, uh, Jude 13 calls us wandering stars. It says the wicked are like the troubled sea and it cannot rest. Isaiah 57, 20. Um, it says that we're like unstable waters in Genesis 49. Four. Um, that's why when the group that called Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, when he came into Jerusalem just a few days later, they said, crucify him. That's how fickle that we are. But God is always immutable in his counsel. But here's the, here's the comfort for us. Human nature can't be relied upon. That's our comfort. So I don't have to rely on the arm of my flesh. I can rely on the arm of God. God does not change. He never varies. His will today is going to be the same for tomorrow. Verse 7 again. It says, Brethren, I write you no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So God was saying God's commandments are always going to be consistent with God's character. God is never going to tell you to do something contrary to who He is. You hear what I'm saying? And so as you're measuring those directives for your life, God's always going to call you to that place that's in all those immutability, whether it's His essence, whether it's His attributes, whether it's His counsel. All those things are going to be consistent with those things. So if you've got some traveling prophet that walks up to you and says, well, i got a word for you. Well, how do you judge that word? You judge that word against that which is constant. You judge it against the infallibility of the word of God and you let God speak you through that. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, He's same today, and forever. You know Revelation 1.8, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who is and was and, and is to come. I am the Almighty One. John said, I do not write to you any new commandment. The word commandment, it means a prescribed rule in accordance with the thing which should be done. He said, listen, I'm not going to tell you something that hadn't always been the case. And so if it came from the beginning, all I need to do is go back to the beginning to find out exactly what he meant. And so the standard which we're called back to, it's not a new standard. It's the ageless, changeless, immutable standard that has always existed in an eternal kingdom. 
Do you think sin was allowed before the beginning? It wasn't. Do you think it was an acceptable standard? Well, we know it wasn't. I don't know how, how long ago that Lucifer was cast out of heaven, but evidently pride wasn't allowed in heaven then. Do I think for a minute that some of my pride is going to slip into heaven? Inexplicably? Oh, he, he's, got, he's got a free pass for me. Absolutely not. It's not allowed there. That's why we crucify our flesh every single day because so no flesh can glory in His presence. And so that call to deny self, it didn't start when Jesus addressed His disciples. He said, if any man wants to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You know where it started? Glad you asked. Genesis 2.17. It's when He told them, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, deny yourself. It says, when the woman, though, saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for wisdom, she took it. She ate it. She gave also to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What happened? Everything died as a result. Maybe not instantaneously, but everything died. That's why we needed a Redeemer. And so my question is to you, do you think the scene that we see in Isaiah 6-1, you know Isaiah 6-1, in the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train was rolled filled the temple. We see the, the, the story about the cherubims and the seraphims around him. And Isaiah said, I'm, I'm unclean and I dwell amongst the unclean people. And it says that one of the angels took a coal off the altar and touched his mouth. He said, who will I send? He said, here am I, send me. Do you think that glorious thing only happened once King Uzziah died? But that seems eternal. God is always set up on the throne of authority. He's always been right there. So God is eternal. God does not change. His glory is there. It was existent because it was there and we're one day going to cry holy, 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 holy. You know why it's consistent? Because God has always created man to have fellowship with Him. And the only men or women that are going to fellowship with Him are going to be holy men and women. Not legalistic men and women. Not people that can cross all the T's and dot the I's. But the ones that are holy as He is holy, that have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, they live. But no longer us that lives, but Christ that lives in us. And the life that we now win? Live later on? I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So when man fell, God's standards did not fall with him. But he said it again. When man fell, God's standards did not fall. God desired to walk with men in the cool of the day. You know what? He still desires to do it. How do I know that? Well, 2,000 years ago, he became Emmanuel. He walked with man once again. He walked with man where they were. And so when they fell, God uh, didn't fail. God maintained his standard and his expectation, and he provided a man a means to come to him. That's why John 12, 32 says, If I be lifted up from the earth, what am I going to do? I'm going to draw a man too. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about a good song. He was talking about a cross. If I lift man up. So the cross... It's not only a means to measure expectation, but it's also a means to manifest transformation. I'll say that for you again. The cross wasn't just a means to measure an expectation. Oh, there was Jesus on the cross. Look at what He did for us. But it was also a means to manifest a transformation. I am crucified with Christ. I identify with Him. If I die to my old nature, what do I have? I have something Brand new. I have an enablement through faith in what Jesus did for me through His blood, through that sacrifice upon the true brethren. I don't write something new to you. I write something old to you, which was from the beginning. It's the commandments from the Word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him, because the darkness is past and true light now shines. Folks, you know what the new commandment is? It's the new covenant in His blood. 
That's the new thing. It's the new enablement. Why? Because we get so focused upon the things we can't do. You know what ends up happening? We don't do those things. Folks, we don't have the ability outside the blood of Jesus and the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit to do anything worth anything. And so he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a new covenant in my blood that's going to be the enablement. My grace isn't what it was in the old covenant, just an unmerited favor. Now it's the divine influence of God upon the heart that's reflected in your life. It's God constantly influencing it. We call grace now, we call it things like the anointing. We call it chill bumps. We call it all these things. But you know what it is? It's God's influence. It's the charis. It's that God's always moving upon us, giving us the ability to choose right. And so when the Word tells us there's no temptation that's come upon you, but that which is common to all men, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear with every temptation. He'll provide a way of escape. You know what that way of escape is? It's the sufficiency of grace. It's not influencing you. When your mind's telling you to do one thing, the spirit man is saying, mm, you can't do right. that, Troy. You can't do that, right. Rodney. You, you can't do that, Caprice, because there's an influence right. that's greater than the influence of who right. I was. Right. And it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's that's that, that new covenant. That's that new ability that we have through right. redemption, according to uh, uh, Galatians 2.20 and 2 Corinthians 5.17. And he goes on to say, I'm going to read this, and I'll close with this tonight. Better out of time. Ephesians 5. 6 through 16. He said, Don't let anyone deceive you with vain words. He said, Because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Don't be partakers with them. He said, You were sometimes in darkness. What do we say? The true light now shines. Verse 8, 1 John, chapter 2. He said, but you were sometimes in darkness, but now you're in the light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things which are reproved are made manifest. All those things that change, all those things that, that suddenly you have the ability to overcome are made manifest by the light. In other words... When you know what to do, then you can do it. Do you hear me? For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore, he says, Awake you that sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days were evil. Folks, he told them in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Listen. He's not going to change everything because of your hurt feelings, of your unmet expectations, because of your church split, because of your, your battle with your wife, because your child ran off. He's not going to change because of those things. The same God that set up on a throne then sets up on a throne now. And God is not going to change the standard to give you an easier way. God is going to change you so you can go the way that He's chosen for you to go. Folks, that's the immutability of God. Him allowing His character, His essence, all those attributes to become alive in us so we can once again have fellowship with Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank You, Lord God. As much as we change and all these things, Lord God, You remain the same. So, Father, tonight, Lord God, we, we just want to have a confidence in You, Lord God. That's what I want every single day. I, I thank You, Lord God, that all of these other things that are shifting, Lord God, that as our song we sing to you, Lord God, it's all other ground is sinking sand, Lord God. That, Father, I thank you that we have a foundation in Christ Jesus that enables us, Lord God. Help us to realize that, Lord God. Help us not to be fickle, uh, Lord God, and, and uh, 
our commitment to you, Lord God, or our expectation. Let us walk, Lord God, even as your words circumspect, Lord God, not as fools, redeeming the time, because we know that we live in evil days. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Joshua, you want to come and pray?